0: Rhymes with Decora is a project of Inspired Media. Find us online at iloveinspired.com. Welcome back to Rhymes with Decora, podcast project of Inspired Media. I'm your host, Benji Nichols, here, bringing you along for stories about communities you love by people you trust. Thank you so much for checking it out. Inspired Magazine, a quarterly publication across the region, of course. Find it all at I Love Inspired. Today's special guest, I am so happy to have here Mr. Ross Evelsizer. Ross, welcome. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Ross is with the Northeast Iowa RCND Natural Resources Projects uh, Director is your official title, Ross. I feel like it's just one thing we could say about you. There's so many things we could talk about. <laughs> <laughs> tell us, though. Uh, I will mention this isn't the first show that I've had a couple of guests on from Northeast Iowa RCND. Let's talk about that first, uh, Ross. Tell us what is the RCND.
1: So we are a 501c3 nonprofit, and we work on our kind of base area is seven counties here in northeast Iowa and really just work on a variety of projects um, from natural resources to small business development to um, scenic byways um, a lot of things that we try and kind of tie together basically to make Northeast Iowa a better place. Yeah, absolutely. And if this sounds a little bit familiar to people, it's probably because back in the earlier
0: shows of uh, Rhymes with Decorah, I had uh, two guests on, Josh Dansdale and Jared Nielsen, who also work at RC D. What's kind of fun is that there's a whole crew of you, uh, and pretty much everybody kind of has their own specialty world mm-hmm. that they work in, right? For sure. Uh, so the entity itself really works to better life here in Northeast Iowa for everyone on a whole bunch of different levels. Uh, but then each of you kind of have your specialty. So so Ross, your actual title is Natural Resources Projects Director. Right? Man, that's official. That's, that's very nice. It's a yeah. good title. Yeah, the the t- long. The, the titles, long title.
1: The titles are essentially all <laughs> made up, so it's just whatever we could uh, pull up to make us sound official. Yeah,
0: not true. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I have known you for a, a while now. Um, you've been at RCND for gosh, I mean going on a decade. Is that
1: right? Yeah, started in um, March of or may actually of 2013 uh, moved here from South Dakota. So, um, moving back home for me, grew up in Decorah. Right. I was, I was going
0: to say, so you were in South Dakota previous to that, but you are again, uh, Decorah native, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I will mention for those out there, of course, Evel Sizer, your dad was a middle school teacher for years. I may have, uh, uh, got to enjoy some of those classes myself. Uh, embarrassing fact that I saved until now to spring upon you is that your mom was also my piano teacher as a young person. So I have her to thank for setting me on some of my musical paths. Although I, uh, am not and was not ever a very good piano player. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Kathy. Anyway, uh, so yeah, but um, your family's been here. Your brother Vince, uh, right? Works for the DNR. That's correct. It's got a lot yep. of ties to uh, helping out on natural resources here in Iowa. Your brother Dan's in town. So lots of folks, lots of connections. Um, good stuff. What were you doing
1: in South Dakota? How'd you find your way there? So I actually went to South Dakota State University um, after high school um, and got Went there way too long. Got a, a number <laughs> of degrees and a pile of debt, but ended up um, with degrees in communications, geography, and uh, and geographic information systems. Yeah, and then spent some time working at a place called EROS, which stands for Earth Resource Observation and Science. And so we did a lot of remote sensing. Awesome. Played with satellite data, looking at landscape changes at a global and national level. So that was yeah. pretty cool. Super spot. cool. Especially. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, what was the turning point? What brought you back to Northeast Iowa? I always looked for a way to get back here. Um, yeah. you know, once we were, uh, my wife and I, my wife, Laura, um, we had a couple of young children and every time we came back, it was always, um, you know, she loved it here. I, you know, looked for ways to get back here and yeah, sought an opportunity. And so when a position came open at RC&D, it was a natural choice to, to jump on it. Absolutely. That's a fantastic
0: thing and we love it. I should mention, of course, along the way, this makes sense that you're an avid outdoorsman as well.
1: Kind of runs in the family, but I know that you do some trout fishing amongst other things. Oh yeah, for sure. Grew (laughs) up in the woods, uh, hunting and fishing. So I do a lot of that to this day and yeah, probably drives my passion for what I do for for a living as well. Absolutely. So Ross, I mean, you and I kind of connected,
0: reconnected under the RC&D umbrella again, as you were doing sort of uh, watershed planning work, Mm -hmm. which, um, you know, for... A lot of people might make sense, but for people who don't know what that means, uh,
1: what is what is watershed planning? What does that mean? What does that look like? Yes. Yeah, so, despite what my mother-in-law thinks uh, <laughs> or thought at one point that a watershed is a small building where people keep water, um, that's not actually correct. So, so watershed just to to make a definition clear for everybody is is a area of land where all all the water drains to a specific point. So, if you think about um, here in town, the Upper Iowa is the the major kind of river system, and so all the water that drains into the Upper Iowa and eventually empties into Mississippi, uh, just south of New Albany, that everything in there is, is considered the Upper Iowa watershed. So that actually runs up into Minnesota. Sure. And so, um, you know, when we do watershed planning, we're looking at that entire area at different scales. You know, we're looking yeah. at you know. From the farm, individual farm level, individual field level, all the way up to the entire watershed, which is like, you know, 648,000 acres or yeah. so. One of the
0: examples we were talking about earlier, just before we, we got on mic, we were telling you, we were saying just like, you know, so like Twin Springs in Decorah mm-hmm. are, you know, is essentially a spring or two springs that come out of the ground yep. and make their way all the way to the Upper Iowa River. And that itself is a single watershed. Mm-hmm a very small example of one, yeah, right? Yeah. Whereas where you might talk about the upper Iowa River, and now all of a sudden you're talking about uh, thousands and thousands of acres that make right. up that watershed. So right. you know similar ideas, but a lot of different volume, a lot of different landscape there.
1: So yeah, so there's actually a um, a way to define all those sizes of watersheds and it's a hydrologic unit code is actually the the term. So most people just say huck. And so oh, yeah. huck uh, Huck Two is the largest watershed, so that's your Mississippi River Basin. Cool. Your entire Mississippi River Basin is Huck Two. Sure. The Minnesota Upper Iowa to the ocean, right? Yep. And so the Upper Iowa is actually a Huck Eight watershed, and it goes up to I think, uh, I think fourteen is the highest level. And so essentially, what that number is referring to is the number of digits of the identifying hydrologic unit code. So sure. for the Upper Iowa River, there is an eight-digit number. That identifies the Upper Iowa River, starting with, as you add to the hydrologic unit code, starting with, so the first two digits in the Upper Iowa River code are two, which is zero two, which means it's in the Mississippi River basin. Oh, interesting. So if you kind of learn that code, you can actually look at the number and identify the parent watersheds within a or that smaller watershed
0: sure yeah and so all those systems obviously and with a a river as big as the mississippi they all flow to that area from here mostly and then make their way to the gulf of mexico exactly yeah fascinating so that watershed work and i mean working locally here what that meant was like implementation of plans to essentially keep those systems healthy is that is that an accurate description or or to at least assess what shape they're in some things like that are there examples of that
1: yeah so you know essentially what we tried to do with um we you know we were fortunate enough to work on different um projects for each of the large watersheds here in the area and essentially what we're trying to do is look at you know what has that watershed been historically you know even going back pre-settlement what did this watershed look like and then looking at what it is now and then you know identifying some of maybe the issues that that the watershed faces whether it be um, particularly it seems like what we face here in iowa is water quality um that's a big one sure absolutely and then um Uh, flooding we we have a lot of flooding flooding is a natural it's a natural phenomenon right like there's been floods forever it's just something that happens um however the the way that we've been flooding the the size and magnitude and frequency that we flood at is not something that's natural and it's something that's changing and something that we need to address Um, sure
0: yeah so some of the work you're able to do is look at those larger systems, a uh, larger picture of those systems, and kind of identify if there are things we can do differently or look at uh, from that. I think a couple of examples you give me is, for did you worked on the Turkey uh, Turkey River watershed, right, mm-hmm. or the uh, Upper WAPSE. yep, uh, and then of course the Upper Iowa is one of those things too. But like, and looking at those watersheds and just what it means, uh, what they look like, assessing them, all those things.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and so you know, it becomes one of those things where we've um, because. The whole, you know, land area of, that we live in is divided into different watersheds. Everybody lives in a watershed. So it yeah, doesn't matter if I right. live next to the river. We've heard that a lot. Like, well, I don't, right. live, <laughs> I don't live by the river, so I don't care. Right. But that's not true. You do care because, A, you still have to drive somewhere. And, you know, if your bridge that you take to cross to go to your destination is washed out, that's a problem. Now you have to make adjustments or... Do you pay taxes? Yes, most people do pay taxes or should pay taxes if they're making an income. And so, you know, that money then goes to replace infrastructure that gets washed out. And if you've part of your tax dollars are going to replace the same bridge that's washed out three years, you know, three times in 10 years. Right. Right. Well, that's not going to. Education or some other, yeah. you know, critical piece of infrastructure. We have, we have bridges in, in Winchy County that haven't been replaced that were washed out in 2008. Right, right. In the last, the last major flood that we had. Exactly. So, yeah. um you know, this is something that affects everybody. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter if you live by the river or not.
0: Tell us about, I mean, so some of that gets pretty technical, pretty pretty much science involved too. Tell us about, are there some more sort of like uh, fun sides to that project for you too? Or for interesting things? And in we're working on a watershed. I mean, uh, well, conservation.
1: Yeah. And, uh, uh, fishy fishy for sure exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah lead me right into it i mean obviously you know with the passion for the outdoors i i like to, to fish a lot um and so protecting our natural resources includes protecting the ecosystems within the streams and rivers and we're blessed in this area to have phenomenal fly fishing or yeah. trout fishing i should say not necessarily just right. just <laughs> fly fishing right and lump everybody in there uh but you know i fly fished uh, trout fished all over the united states out west and yeah um the black hills and not you know we can hold a flame to to any of those places you, bet. you know so it's yeah we have an incredible resource here um yeah. and for those of you, know, you know that maybe don't know trout are a fairly sensitive species they need good water oh, quality yeah. very, very much cold right. water yeah um they need there's other species that you know depend on cold water that they then rely on for food source and so it's something that we have to protect and it's yeah. actually gotten better over time. We have more natural reproducing st- streams um, right. than, than we had, you know, 30 years ago. One of the coolest things,
0: and I don't know that you per se had a, a, a involvement in this project, because as we mentioned with our Northeast Iowa RC&D, everyone kind of has their own world that they work in, in terms of projects and scopes and specialties and those things. But on the show that I did a, a while ago uh, with Josh and Jared, one of the projects we also talked about were some of the water or not the, uh, not watershed, but the, the maps, the river maps yeah. and stream maps. And then the fishing guides, kind of like a pocket-sized guide. And I always laugh because I feel like I fished with both of my grandpas at different points and take me out trout fishing and do things. But I remember going to Highlandville. I remember going to certain places, you know, that kind of people know of here. But what was really cool when those maps came out was looking at places um, that are here in rural, you know, Winnishie County, Alamakee County, Fayette, wherever. And I was like, I had no idea that place was there. Yeah. I didn't know there was a cold water stream there and that there was access and that you could check it out. And that's, uh, it's really fun. I mean, it's amazing when you start getting back into the more rural areas, how uh, there's some really special spots for sure.
1: There are. And, you know, a lot of those areas are actually. Um, you know they're on private land. They're not accessible necessarily to the public. So um, a lot of them don't even appear on the maps. There's yes. hundreds it, there of thousands of yes. streams, right? That <laughs> that aren't open to the public. But there's still a lot of a lot of stream available. A lot of places to, or you know. Even if you're not into fishing, there's yes. there's a whole ecosystem there. If you're into birding or yeah. um, even just walking or looking for wildflowers, foraging, whatever, yeah. like they're they're incredible places to go.
0: Yeah. So you know, watersheds have only been one part of the work you do with RCND. I think the one word you use to sort of, or the two words you use to sort of describe a lot of this projects were watershed resiliency. Yeah. Right. So just making sure like that those those uh, ecosystems are accounted for and can be resilient on their own or with some help here and there if they need that. Getting back to it and uh, whether that's... That's, you know, from agricultural involvement or development or something else. It's just kind of uh, looking at those things and 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 bringing them back together. Um, also, through that work, we're going to take a quick break here in a second and come back and talk more. Uh, you have been awarded a really cool award here uh, in in 2022. We're just in fall of 2022 and we're doing this show, uh, and it is from the Iowa State University Conservation Learning Group, uh, and that is the New Voices in Iowa Water Quality Award, which is super cool. Uh, yeah, yeah and you uh, were selected as one of the winners for that project which is super cool yeah thank you very much yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely um, and several folks another person from West Union uh, Lauren Steinlogge was mm-hmm. also nominated for that award uh, we can talk about him a little bit in the second half of the show maybe as well um, but congrats on that award and also just a cool kind of state level recognition of the work you've done here in Northeast Iowa uh, and, and recognition of that in Ames here this fall and also some video projects that are maybe coming out on that project as well, I think.
1: Yeah. I think they're going to have, um, you know, a little video kind of compilation of all the awardees on their, their yeah. website to kind of showcase. And it's good to to bring more attention up here to the Northeast part of the state. Um, oh yeah. It gets forgotten a lot down in the, in the bigger cities we're, in Des Moines. We're areas, a long so. ways from the
0: Metro. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I yeah. like to say. Yep. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's a, that's a pet peeve of mine. Absolutely. And people talk about <laughs> Northeast Iowa, we're, you know, come, come, come all the way up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, it's a, it's we welcome
1: you. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Ross Evelsizer, Natural Resources Development, uh, Natural Resources Project Director for the Northeast Iowa RC and D. Uh, Ross, uh, stick around for a minute. We're going to talk a little more on the second half of the show. Thanks uh, for being here today, and uh, hang in there. We'll be right back. This is Rhymes with Decora.
1: Times of Decorah is brought to you by Impact Coffee, roasting and serving the world's finest coffees in Decorah since 2015. Visit us on Water Street, open daily for coffee and Nordic waffles, cocktails, beer, and wine every Thursday through Saturday.
0: Download our app for quick and easy ordering and pickup. Hey, that's the voice of Sean Brown, Mr. Downtown Sean Brown at Impact Coffee in downtown Decora. Visit them on Water Street. We appreciate everything they do, helping us bring the show to you today. Impactcoffee.com. Find them online as well. Just about go for a nitro chai right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Sean, for the help today. Ross Evelsizer, Natural Resources Projects Director from the Northeast Iowa RC&D is with me today. Ross, thanks for taking time out of your day to be here. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, so first part of the show, we were talking uh, watersheds. That's a big part of your job. That's mm-hmm. one part of it. Another part that's kind of come along through that is uh, within multi-cropping. Multi-cropping. Yep. Wow, that's just such a good word. Now, now uh, full disclosure... Uh, I have some pet projects um, that go all the way back to some bread baking days of mine, and using local grains and stuff that are kind of how you and I connected on a bunch of this stuff. Right. But a lot of your work um, through watersheds and then other things has been with multi cropping and helping set up systems. Let's tell people what
1: that means. Yeah. So, you know, multi cropping itself is just kind of you know what I'm I guess looking at is how you know, getting back to that resilience idea, idea right? So um, looking at how farmers can do things differently in their fields um, and maybe just not a lot differently, but just a slight alteration with the way they're producing um, that could have an impact at the watershed scale. And so um, multi-cropping specifically, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is is utilizing the same areas that we're already growing crops, but maybe growing additional crops within those same fields at the same time yeah um and that works at a lot of different levels it works for the the environmental side by having you know you have cover there year-round you have roots in the soil building Mm -hmm. soil health you have um weed suppression from those plants um a lot of different things and then from the farmer side of it it's it's you know land costs are ridiculously high right now yeah it allows that farmer to the, grow their business vertically versus trying to spread out and you know add yeah. acres either through purchase or renting. So, and let's let's rewind that back
0: for one second because for those that are not familiar in agriculture or spending a lot of time in agriculture, everybody knows here in Iowa we grow a lot of soy, a lot of soybeans, and mm-hmm. a lot of corn. Right, uh, and we're going to keep doing that certainly. Uh, but we also know that a lot of uh, both those crops in different ways can really degrade soil quality in some ways if we're not careful. Uh, And also that typically, you know, a farmer grows one or both of those in a field, in different fields uh, at different times Mm -hmm. or or over different years. And that's kind of how farming has traditionally gotten done. Now, something you said that people might've gone, what is that you're talking about actually growing, not just corn in a field but perhaps another crop or not just beans in a field but another crop in the same field they're interplanted in different rows
1: right right yes so you know uh, it goes back to if you look at again you know when we were talking about more of the watershed side of things at the beginning of the podcast we were talking about you know looking back historically what were these watersheds before before people came here And, you know, in this area, we're talking about um, primarily tall grass prairie. Um, There was some woods there as well, but we, you know, we had tall grass prairie. And if you look out into a tall grass prairie here in Decorah, there's great examples all over the place, right? At Luther, um, you know, um, along the river, there's multiple places. And if you look at that tall grass prairie, there's a couple things to notice. One, there are a lot of different species growing out there together. Yeah. Right? Yep. So that that in and of itself should tell people you can grow more than one thing, in, yes. and have a productive system because sure. those plants complement each other. Yeah. The other part of that is there's something there year round. There's never a time mm-hmm. in a tall grass prairie that it's barren. Sure, your dirt.
0: soil's not exposed to the exactly. air. Exactly. Yes, and the water. And
1: so that's what we're trying to replicate in the system. Not yeah. necessarily having 25 different crops or right. 100 different right. crops, but right. you, you know having more than one thing out there growing at different times and picking crops that complement each other and don't compete.
0: Yeah. Now, to those who may be in agriculture, if they happen to hear this, they might also be going uh, on the traditional side, they might be thinking like, that's crazy. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. <laughs> but what's cool is there are actually a lot of neat examples of this happening out there, right? Right. And I mean, so this is something that you kind of came across through your watershed work, and now you're helping other farmers in the region kind sort of look at systems. Uh, and there are other people, of course, across the the Midwest, especially in the U.S., who are looking at this uh, system of farming as a way to really
1: improve soil health, um, cut down on inputs, all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, exactly. So there's kind of a, the term that it gets lumped underneath of, and it's kind of a nebulous term that doesn't have a great definition but the general term that is starting to emerge and become more and more of a trend within agricultural communities not just within the u.s but globally i would say is is the term regenerative regenerative yeah. production um, and it's different from like you know you see a lot of organic labels right the difference is you know organic is a more of a chemical free type of um production however you know it doesn't organic does not mean regenerative regenerative sure. does not mean organic yeah. they're different but they can or can't be related it just depends on the situation but essentially what you you know the main concepts are that you're you're producing you know crops and food and products in a way that is sustainable that yeah. I would say that's the the word that i equate with regenerative is that it's sustainable we're not taxing right. the system the soil in this case so much yeah. that we're taking out more than we're putting in and you're really at the end of the day the, the goal is to make sure we're, we're at least hanging on to the soil that we have maybe
0: even rebuilding some of the soil yep. we have versus uh, uh letting it wash down a river or blow away or uh, any of the things that that happened in some of the uh, earlier decades of uh agriculture in our country
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah so i mean you think back to the dust bowl as a good example but um you know that's the picture that that people imagine, they think, well, the Dust Bowl, well, that was in the 30s. That would never happen again. Right. That's not true. I mean, there are pictures from this year yeah. of, you know, basically closing interstates out, out in the prairie yeah. from dust storms. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing to think about, right? Well, it's a little bit sad. But um yeah. you know what that's what we're trying to prevent, right? The soil should not be exposed. And you bet. if we can get more acres under regenerative production, mm-hmm. um, you know, how does that equate to watershed work? Well, you know, the prairie system is, you know, that was what was here and that was what held the soil in place. If it if we have regenerative agriculture, we've we're trying to show, we're trying to put data to this but essentially what we're trying to see is how much of an impact can that have in terms of us particularly flooding yes. as the where we don't have the data. And sure. to say, like, if we were to convert all of the cropland within a given watershed mm-hmm. to regenerative practices versus quote unquote conventional, sure. what would that do?
0: Yeah. Interesting. Even just slowing down water, water retention, you know, all those things, right? Like who knows?
1: Yeah. And, you know, we, we talk about water quality and, and flooding so much. Um, but on the flip side of that, it actually works conversely to drought as well. So yeah. um, it just, everything works the more the way it should be. It's, and again, more resilient, right? That's the, yeah. that's kind of Resiliency. the buzzword. No, it's, it's super cool. And I, I think this
0: is interesting. I mean, I am not a farmer. Uh, I have, you know, in, in, in past generations of my family on both sides, we certainly were in agriculture and farming, but uh, I think it's fascinating living here in the Midwest. It's, it's really important to have an understanding of what is going on and also what's possible, you know, I think as I've dug into some of these things, I've come at it from an angle that I'm interested in, um, places that are growing small grains, generally referred to, so wheat, rye, barley, you name it, mm-hmm. uh, and and for food use uh, and or for you know grinding for flour or for brewing or for different things. And we actually have some really great examples of that in our region. Um, people think of like, for instance, with wheat, uh, they don't associate Iowa as a wheat growing state. Right. Uh, funny enough, southern Minnesota is uh, not all that far away, um, but a little ways away. But it is possible to do it here. Um, there's yep. been some trials done here in the last couple of years have been very promising. Um, and I've even gotten my hands on some of that mm-hmm. locally grown wheat and been able to grind it up and use it for bread, some other things, which is super cool. Uh, pulpit rock brewing, of course, as well, where I, I also full disclosure work part time. Uh, but Bob and Teff over there have been, um, really great in the last year to hear about working with some, some more local products and mm-hmm. some of those grains that are being grown. Someone that you and I both know, Lauren Steinlogge down by West union, of course, uh, has a couple examples. Maybe you want to talk about Lauren for just a second with some of your projects as well.
1: Uh, and what you discovered at his farm as he implemented some of these things. Yeah. So I actually met Lauren, gosh, it's probably been 2015 or so. So that feels like forever ago. (laughs) Um, but you know, the first thing that caught my eye was that Lauren was willing to try anything and, um, you know, through a couple of different projects, made visits to the farm and, and that's where I came across something that he was doing called relay cropping Mm -hmm. was kind of the, the first place that I saw, and that's where kind of this whole idea stem from, really, for me. Um, and essentially, the idea is um, you you're planting a small grain in the fall mm-hmm. after the previous crop is harvested, and then planting soybeans into that small grain in the spring. And then you end up harvesting both crops: the cereal grain you'd harvest in like midsummer, July, yep, and then the soybeans you'd harvest at a traditional time. But those two don't compete. Yeah. And it what really grabbed my attention was how. Um, You know, when you start looking at the numbers from those fields in terms of the economics of it. Sure. Because now we have something that not only works environmentally, but it's better for the farmer. And so we don't have to pay anybody to do this. They want to do it on their own. Right. Right. So it doesn't take public dollars. It doesn't take like a cost share program, something like Mm -hmm. that. And that, you know, in turn, you know, our entire rural economy, Mm -hmm. you know, developed based around rural agriculture. Right. So um, that's still really important. Um, But if we can, you know, some of the newer things that we see that people are interested in that supports our economy now, particularly in decora, based around tourism, you know, people want to float the river, people want to come and go fishing, people want, that means that we need to keep, you know, that side of things functioning well. Yeah. So you have a better rural economy from the agriculture side if people can find ways to make more off the land in a sustainable way. Absolutely but then also protecting those other things and help enhance some of our natural resources that bring people to the area yeah uh you know recreationally
0: love love those ideas uh one other quick side story um i was down at Lawrence with you i think last summer uh for a little gathering of folks uh, mike sipker another friend of both of ours uh who mm-hmm. works at the i o d n r and, uh, and the uh, decor trout hatchery uh i believe was there right yeah like there and uh obviously lauren has done a lot of work on water quality on his property had a small spring Mm -hmm. uh down in the bottom of one of his uh fields and you guys discovered that uh it was repopulating
1: (laughs) yeah it was uh you know so this was yeah when you say small i mean this we're talking about a trickle essentially um and right up next to his farm right right below his farm and we we found trout up to you know seven or eight inches long which isn't it's not the type of place where you'd catch big trout but it's when you start to think about the number of those tiny little creeks like that, and there could be trout in all of those areas. And that's yeah. directly related to how he and was, was, yeah, was, he's treating the land.
0: Right at the bottom of a field. Yeah. I mean, it is
1: right where he is he is working. Yep, um, and he has a nice, you know, you know per, he's got that stream protected. He's not farming right to the edge of it. Yep. So there's a nice buffer between his fields and the stream. Yeah. And then his fields are protected because he... Yeah. does all of these practices. Yeah. Um, and just
0: really just, me though know, that's just one practical example yeah. of, of a success story, you yep. know? So it's not total pie in the sky. It's a very real, very adaptable type.
1: Absolutely. Of so we, yeah. you know, we actually took um, hydro stations um, that we worked with the Iowa Flood Center. They're based at the University of Iowa. Yep. And we put hydro stations in one of his fields and then right across the road in a field that was more conventional type of production and what we wanted to know is how do these different practices then handle handle water and so then we use that data and then worked with their engineers down there to actually model that cool to say okay if 2008 happens or yeah essentially what we looked at is the high water event for each year over 20 years wow and so and basically said if every acre within this large watershed is converted to regenerative practices and handles water like this field does Mm -hmm. Lawrence field or as it is now, which we're assuming most of those fields are conventional. Sure. What we found was that, you know, it's, you know, fairly preliminary because it's a limited data set, but what we, and that's the qualifier, right? Because (laughs) what we essentially found is that for, for some events, especially smaller events, the ones that don't make FEMA level. Yeah. We had reductions up to 50%.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah. So essentially, Just we capturing could keep, that water, slowing yeah. that water down, all of those things. Yeah.
1: So if yeah. you get a four, or five inch rainfall in a regenerative field that's been in regenerative, and that soil is restored and functioning properly, and has cover and those sorts of things, like yeah. we're talking about, yeah, all of that's absorbed. It's wow. not running off.
0: Yeah. That's incredible, yeah. right? I mean, it's a very practical solution, right? Absolutely. And what's super cool is, I mean, this is just another, this is one more of your hats that you're wearing under right. the RCD umbrella. So this is a project that you're continually going out there working on, doing mm-hmm. doing actual you know, field surveys, science work, data sets, uh, finding other funding opportunities for all those things, right? Absolutely, really, yes. What a, what a cool thing. Crazy. So I, uh, we'll wrap up here shortly, but I mean, a uh, secret mission of mine is that I am hoping to run with some of the, the passions I have on my side with small grains and uh, uh, grains that are, can be used in both the food side of things or distilling or brewing. And I'm hoping to put together a series of shows about that here for Rhymes with Decorah. Um, maybe this winter sometime or by next spring, we'll see what comes together. It's going to take a little bit of work to put those together, but I'd be uh, I'd look forward to having uh, maybe a co-host for those if you're up for it or helping me uh, helping me wade through some of those topics possibly. But.
1: Yeah, we need to get word
0: out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're going to work on it. So Ross Elvesizer, Northeast Iowa RC&D. Uh, Ross is the Natural Resources Project's director um, thanks for taking time out of your day to be here. Of course, uh, congrats again, uh, Iowa State University Conservation Learning Group, um, the new voices in Iowa water quality. Uh, that's an award you'll be receiving this fall here, still, and uh, we'll also post a link to that when um, when the videos come out and some of the uh, some of the fun stuff that's coming along on those. So, uh, congratulations, good. yeah.
1: And cool. if people want to fun follow stuff. along with yeah. kind of the multi cropping project, we yes. do have a Facebook page. Um, you can, awesome. where we have a. There's within that there's a. Uh, more formal facebook group and then also you can follow us on twitter at multi iowa at multi iowa and that's where all the cool farmers are that's on, right they're all on twitter yeah there's a whole twitter community <laughs> I've, I've out there i that. didn't know that
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm not much of a twitter person i actually go there for the farmers it's great that's right? right i love it ross thanks for taking time out of your day to be here uh and of course northeast iowa rcd if people want to learn more i think the website is uh North East RCND.org, I believe is correct. That's correct. So yeah. yeah, you can check that out. Lots of cool folks working on uh, amazing projects to make our lives better here in the region. So Ross, thanks for taking time out of your day. Uh, and we will uh, talk with you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Absolutely. You're listening to Rhymes with Decora, a podcast project of Inspired Media. Find us online at iloveinspired.com. Impact Coffee, helping us bring us this show today. Find them on Water Street in downtown Decora. Exquisite World Coffees, great service, fun people, an amazing environment, impactcoffee.com. This is Rhymes with Decora. Find us online at decora.fun. I'm your host, Benji Nichols. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time.